0: Welcome to Vistas by WebCheck Security, news, views, and insights into the cybersecurity realm, leadership, and entrepreneurship, produced by WebCheck Security. My name is Greg Johnson, and I'm your host. Frequently we deviate from pure cybersecurity to discuss key elements of leadership and entrepreneurship, things we all need as cybersecurity practitioners or business owners to be successful. Today's podcast welcomes Nikki Stone, Olympic gold medalist, best-selling author, and award-winning motivational speaker, as well as founder of her own company, Podium Enterprises. Nikki is also the author of When Turtles Fly, which explores her philosophy, Life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but the moments that take our breath away. Vistas is sponsored by Vivint Smart Home. Look, have you ever wondered what would happen if I were robbed? What would they get? Who do I call to protect myself? Well, look no further than Vivint Smart Home. They have the best technology, folks, for cameras or doorbells, garage sensors, window sensors, thermostats, everything you need, all in one app, all in one company, and some great technology. So, for world-class security and home automation, call. Are you ready for this? I'm going to give you this number. This is really important. 1-800-570-1313. That's right. 1-800-570-1313. And finally finally today, we are so honored to be sponsored by Nexus IT, a worry-free, hyper-responsive approach to providing world-class IT support and solutions. So leaders can focus on their business and not on the operational IT and cybersecurity. Shout out to Earl Foote and his crew. One of the greatest CEOs with the most integrity and a great bass player, I might add. So reach out to Earl's crew for your IT security needs. Ready for this? www.nexusitc.net That's nexusitc.net Now to our guest. In this pod- podcast, WebCheck Security is excited to introduce you to Nikki Stone, Olympic gold medalist, award winning motivational speaker, and best selling author. At the Olympic Winter Games in Nagano, Japan, Nikki Stone became America's first ever Olympic champion in the sport of inverted aerial skiing now i have no idea what that is and nikki you're gonna have to tell us about this what made this performance so unbelievable was the fact that less than two years earlier a chronic injury prevented her from standing much less walking or skiing down a slope at almost 40 miles per hour Man, it scares me skiing that fast. I don't know how she does it. Nikki came dangerously close to being sidelined from aerial skiing indefinitely, and she's going to be able to tell the rest of the story. Welcome, Nikki. It is so cool to have you on this show.
1: Well, it's an honor to be here. I'm so glad we connected, and I look forward to talking to your audience.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot behind your story here, and, and I think we're going to learn a lot from you today, Nikki. Um, i'm really humbled that you would come on this show Um, i have a lot of neat guests on uh, vistas but you are the first olympic medalist this is just uh, an honor Um, let's put that aside for a minute though i think everybody's important in the eyes of god regardless of of what we do so at the core who are you Nikki? tell our listeners about you as a person and then we'll get into your success journey
1: Okay. Well, I will say that I am an ordinary person that puts my pants on one leg at a time. I guess sometimes (laughs) I jump into them. (laughs) Fantastic. But really, um, you know, I'm someone who is dedicated and determined. Um, It's when I was five years old, I told my parents I was going to win the Olympics someday and made my own podium out of tables and chairs. And so I I definitely am determined (laughs) to go after my dreams and for me, it really was an incredible journey, and it was all the extras along the way that really made it important. Because my family is so important to me, and it's something that I've grown. I've I've have two children now, and they are my life, my world, uh, the air I breathe. So it's so great to be able to spend time with my kids to enjoy all aspects of life and to teach them everything I learned throughout my sports. So I, I, find different ways to get outdoors, to enjoy the time with the kids and to pursue being better myself. Um, not only to improve aspects of my own career, but also to help my children grow, to be better people as well.
0: So do they ski? I have to ask that question. (laughs)
1: they do but they don't do aerial skiing and a lot of people ask me would you would you let your children do aerial skiing and I say well of course I will let them do what they want to if my parents let me do it I have to let them do it but I secretly hope that they don't want to choose that because (laughs) I don't I can't imagine watching your child go up and flip and twist 50 feet into the air and so uh, deep down I'm hoping they will pick something that keeps their feet on the ground, but, um, yes, they're, they're great athletes. They do love skiing. And, uh, it, it really would be incredible if they wanted to pursue whatever sport they want. Um, but I'm just hoping it's not aerials.
0: <laughs> that's funny. Now, what are their ages, Nikki?
1: Uh, my children are nine and 12, uh, daughter that's 12 and my son is nine.
0: Oh, fantastic. Lots of fun. Lots of good times ahead too. high school and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're I'm a
1: little nervous about it, but it'll be great as well.
0: You're in for a treat. I i have four. They're all grown now and out of the house. Our youngest is 25. And they've each got their lives and their independent past, and they're amazing, awesome people. And uh, family is just fun. It's just amazing. Well, so inverted aerial skiing. I, I guess I know what aerial skiing is because you watch the Olympics on TV and you see people doing these insane uh, twisty thingies. Uh, so tell, but tell <laughs> us a, a little bit more about the sport so that we have some context. What is inverted aerial skiing?
1: Okay. Well, I grew up as a gymnast and I skied recreationally and it became the perfect marriage for aerials when, which I started when I was 18 years old. And we go down a steep hill going uh, about 60 kilometers per hour into a 12-foot tall wall. And it really does look like a wall in front of you as you're standing up on top of the hill. And it flips you backwards. And as I said earlier, we go 50 feet in the air. That's the height of a five-story building. And believe it or not, I'm afraid of heights. So <laughs> it was an enormous task to be, able to be able to do this sport. And I took it in such small steps so that I could go out there and and learn how to do these more difficult maneuvers. And the flipping and twisting, you know, to twist with skis on your feet and to be able to get that momentum going around is also a challenge. And then we land on a steep hill, about 45 degrees steep, and you hopefully land sunny side up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. So, So you were a gymnast, so you were used to controlling your body. Um, at what point did you say, Hey, I'm going to go off this little jump and see if I can do a flip. (laughs) Do you remember that moment?
1: (laughs) Oh, I do. It wasn't, it wasn't something where I put up a little jump in the woods. It it actually was a training facility that I went to. And I remember seeing it on an evening magazine show where they were flipping into a pond. And I thought, that looks incredible. I want to be able to try that. And so I started the sport of freestyle where you do moguls, aerial, and at the time there was acro skiing where you do almost like ice skating on skis. And I progressed very quickly, but we weren't allowed to flip until we qualified through our national championships. And so by the time I qualified, they had a full facility in Lake Placid, New York and Park City, Utah. And I remember the first week that I went out there, I had so much fun. But the third day ever, the head team coach said, okay, Nikki, we're going to go off the double jump, which sends people about 35 feet in the air. And I felt nauseous, because as I said, I'm afraid of heights. And so to go up there and try this trick on my third day ever, I was terrified. And luckily, my ego was a lot bigger than my brain. (laughs) So I went and trudged up the stairs to the top of the jump. And I took all the courage I could muster to ski down the hill and off this jump. I flipped over twice in the air, landed in the pool, which we do for our summer training. We actually land in a pool um, that has bubbles to help aerate it and make it a little softer for the landing Ah. so that we can try new tricks. And uh, it's something that really helps us to be able to learn things before we actually get onto snow and so the third day I did this double backflip and I was hooked on the sport and there was no going back from that point.
0: Wow. And that's an interesting training facility. I remember jumping off a cliff uh, water skiing with my brother at uh, in Arizona in a, a, a reservoir. And I jumped off this cliff and it was kind of frightening. It was only about 15 feet. And uh, for days, I thought, why do my feet hurt? Why? Do, where did this fasciitis yeah. come from? And I realized that my feet were smacking the water. So um, yeah. uh, aerated water, that's kind of an interesting concept. Well, so, yeah. N- Nikki, you have to start somewhere, right? The things that you've done... Uh, are amazing and but the things that you do now are maybe even more amazing where you teach people and you coach people and you've written a book which is very impressive um but i think if there's a lesson here it's that you started small (laughs) even even though you had a fear of heights it started somewhere and uh i think there's a lesson in that for all of us we can achieve great things but you don't do it all at once and, and clearly right, it took exactly. you many years. Um, so so here we go. Tell us about this journey. You've told us a little bit about how it started. Uh, but uh, uh, tell us about some of your inflection points and and how you progressed and and, and then uh, we'll just take it from there.
1: So as I said, Ariels was not something that um, I felt propelled to be able to take these enormous risks at first. I really did have to take these small steps. And when I actually saw the first aerial jump on skis on snow, I looked at them and said, these people are crazy. (laughs) So I understand when people say to me, you must be crazy. But I learned and progressed and started doing double backflips. I was able to compete on the tour. And my first year on tour, I actually won a world cup and, it taught me so much because we had to write down our goals and even though you take these small steps you always have to think big you have to make sure that you're aiming for something much higher than you actually think is possible and it was a great lesson my parents taught me in order to commit to uh, to accomplish great things we have to commit to great things mm. and so when our coach had us sit down and write our goals down i wrote that my goal was to win a world cup And having that on the piece of paper, reminding myself every time that I got out there to compete, it was so important to make sure that I remembered, you know, I wrote this down. I have to make myself accountable. And uh, one great thing, you know, a few years after that World Cup win, I met Muhammad Ali. Oh, wow. And I asked him for keys to success. And he's the one thing he told me is to make sure you have your goals in your pocket. Really? And I'm someone who always prides myself on knowing what my goals are but I didn't have them with me but I did understand what he meant by keeping our goals with us it helps us push beyond what we think is possible it helps us if there are distractions if there's hurdles around us that we're always going to be able to push forward and reach towards what those goals are and so it really helped me win that world cup by making myself accountable and a year later I went uh, excuse me, a couple years after that, I went to my first Olympic games and I really lost a lot of focus those games. Um, I was so enamored by everything going on around me that it was really hard to keep my focus on the task at hand. And I was in a position where I could have done well because I was ranked third in the world. Really? But I, yeah. And so going into these games, ranked third, I knew I could do well and I let that pressure get the best of me. Um, I started thinking about winning. I started thinking about the late night talk shows. I started thinking about the parades they could have for me. And it really blew up at that point. And I realized after those games that I had to have that focus. I had to be able to push myself forward. Um, And came back the very next season, won our world championships, and I thought I was on the path to success to the next Olympic Games. And I've learned that, you know, it's Really, all about having to overcome adversities because the most successful people in the world are not the ones that don't have the adversities. They're the ones who always bounce back and they're always going out there to seek a different way to the top when they get detoured around the right path that they're um, willing to take. And so, for me, I had a spinal injury and I thought it was a muscle spasm. Yeah, it was, it was really challenging um, because I thought it was a muscle spasm. I was ranked second in the world at the time, and I wanted to be first. But the girl in first named Veronica Brenner, about three-quarters of the way through the year, she didn't make it to finals in Oberyoke, Germany. And I thought, this is my chance to be able to pull ahead of her. But um, as that year was progressing, my back was getting worse and worse, and I went up to my coach on the day of finals, in Germany. And I said, you know, I don't know how many jumps I can do. My back's hurting quite a bit. And he said, well, if you want to do the jumps in the contest, you are required to do them in practice. And so I thought, well, we have two jumps to add them together. I can do two jumps in practice and do the two contest jumps, just four jumps for the day and I'd be okay. And so I went to the top of the hill and got ready for my first jump. Mm -hmm. And when I went down and hit the apex of the jump, it felt like someone came up and stabbed me in my lower back. And I managed to get around to my feet. I skied to the bottom of the hill and I collapsed. And our physical therapist came over to me and he asked me, you know, what's wrong? What's going on? And I said, this muscle spasms back. I need a little time to see if it'll calm down. And so half an hour went by pretty quickly. And he came back and said, there's five minutes left of training. What do you want to do? And I knew I had to do that second jump if I wanted to do it in the contest. And so I had him lift me up onto my feet because I couldn't bend forward up. I went back to the top of the hill and this time with tears streaming down my face, I went and took another jump. And this time when I hit the top of the jump, it felt like I had 10 knives stabbing me in my lower back. And for anyone that's ever experienced extreme back pain, it's the feeling was similar to someone that drops to their knees because they're in such incredible pain. And I was 30 feet in the air upside down.
0: Oh my goodness. And
1: luckily, your body goes into autopilot. And I don't know how, but I managed to get around to my feet, but I collapsed right on impact. And I slid to the bottom of the hill and found that I couldn't move more than two inches in any direction. And I had to stay in Europe for three days because I couldn't stand long enough to get on a plane to go home. And when I finally did get home, I went and saw doctor upon doctor upon doctor. And each of the doctors told me it wasn't a muscle spasm. It's something called internal disc disruption. And they said, imagine taking an egg and shaking up that egg. And the inside of it becomes scrambled. And the outside of it stays intact, although it's malformed. And it actually is pressing on the nerves and has cracks in it. And it's leaking fluids. And this is what I did to two of the discs in my lower back.
0: Oh, my goodness. And So, wait, pause. So, so you're training with this injury, but you didn't know it was obviously it must have been over time, kind of a progressive repetitive stress injury, or was there one, did did you land on your back at one point or what do you trace that to?
1: No, no, believe it or not, it was from too many landings. Um, It was the compression over time, um, both on water and on snow. um, Just that motion of coming down from 35 feet in the air, landing again and again and again. Wow. Um, I actually injured these two discs in my back, and the ten doctors I saw said you will never ski again. Wow! And it was devastating. So, what are you yeah, thinking? What, every- what
0: what's going through your head at this point when when two different doctors say, well, "Hey, Nikki, you're done. No more."
1: No, it was it was, it was ten different doctors. Ten different doctors. 10 doctors. Okay. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, and so. you you get to a point where you're feeling discouraged. Um, And I really started to fall into a depression and I I really started feeling sorry for myself, but I did try every exercise and procedure possible, including acupuncture, massage therapy, water therapy. I had a chair that would try to stretch out my back to alleviate some of the pressure on my back. Mm -hmm. I had three six inch needles injected into my spine to try to rejuvenate those discs in my back. Um, And I went to the point where they were going to burn the nerves in my back so that I wouldn't feel the pain anymore because it was so incredibly rough that I couldn't sit for more than 15 minutes and I couldn't stand for more than 10. And I had to have a mattress brought into my living room so I could go beyond the bedroom every day.
0: My goodness. And how old are you at this point when, when this is going on?
1: It was right after I turned twenty-five years old.
0: So and you're thought, you're a young person.
1: You know, Happened <laughs> later, yeah. <laughs>
0: and and at that point in your life, you don't have all of the life experience to help you overcome, um, attitudinally. So this this is cool. Th- this is quite a journey that you went through uh, to overcome this. Anyway, continue.
1: Yeah. So um, I was going through this injury, and one day I came across a picture of a man named Joe Frazier. And many people may know that Joe Frazier won a gold medal gold medal in the 1964 Olympics in boxing, but they may not know that he did it with a broken hand. Oh! And I figured he needs his hand for boxing as much as I need my back for jumping. So if he could come back from this, why couldn't I? And it gave me the fire to start going, looking for doctors again. And I finally came across a doctor in Boston, Massachusetts. who told me I could come back from this injury, but it was going to take a lot of work and it was gonna be incredibly painful and it was gonna be a big risk. Hmm. Because what he had me do was to lift heavy weights. And by lifting these heavy weights, I would build up the muscles in my back to support those injured discs. But in the process, I could blow out those discs completely and never come back to any
0: sport. Oh boy.
1: And for me, it was worth taking that risk because I really wanted to achieve this medal. I had nothing to lose at this point. Um, I was already out of my sport. And so I decided to take that risk and be able to build up the muscles in my back. And he was right. It was incredibly, incredibly painful. i had never experienced such pain in my entire life. And I pushed through and kept telling myself, there was a quote that I would always follow. And it was um, by General George S. Patton that says, success is how high you bounce after you hit rock bottom. (laughs) And I would tell myself that if you want to bounce back, you have to be ready be strong and be prepared to take that bounce. And it helped me every day I went in the gym and I would actually take a super ball with me and I would bounce the super ball as that mm-hmm. reminder that I was going to be bouncing back. And it was that visual reminder I needed that you got to stay strong. You're going to be bouncing back. And I started building up the muscles in my back and I did come back to competing just one year for the next winter Olympic games. And coming back at that point, uh, there were a lot of girls who had increased their degree of difficulty where they were doing harder jumps because they wanted to try them out the year before the Olympics. And I finished in 11th place at our world championships. And I thought this was gonna be the place where I could show them Nikki Stone was back And just to rub salt in the wounds, there was a sports journalist who said, Nikki Stone will never stand on the podium again.
0: Oh, there's always a naysayer, isn't there? There's always that. Yeah. (laughs) Whoever said the media was all positivity. we all
1: have it in life. (laughs) Yes. Right. We all have it in life. And you can choose to listen to them or you can choose to use that as fire to prove them wrong. And I decided, you know, I really need to stick my neck out. I have to believe in myself. Um, If no one else is going to do it. I have to believe in myself and I started doing more difficult jumps. I had to do triple backflips, which sends us 50 to 60 feet in the air. Oh, and boy. for someone who's afraid of heights, um, <laughs> it was terrifying.
0: <laughs> I, I can't imagine.
1: And, <laughs> yeah, it was. It really was scary. Um, and, and so much so to the point that I would go in the woods and get sick to my stomach, literally sick to my stomach. Every time I had to do a triple backflip in training and, for me, it was that important to win an Olympic gold medal. And so I pushed myself to that degree, and every time I would come back and say, "Okay, you know my stomach's clear now I can go take this jump and and uh, I was nervous. you know it was it was something that I needed that goal, you know as as um, Muhammad Ali said to have our goal in our pocket. I needed that goal in my pocket to remind myself that this is what I'm pushing for. This is why I'm out here every day is to push towards that goal. And I I was able to learn this trick, but I was still developing it the whole year I led into the next season with the uh, Olympic Games. And I qualified for my second Olympics. And my first Olympics, when they asked me what my goals were at the Olympic Games, I said I was just happy to be there. And I wasn't ready to make myself accountable. But at these games, when they asked me what my goal was, I said, I'm here to win. And I may not do it, um, but I couldn't worry about embarrassing myself or giving myself that out in case I didn't do well. I had to tell myself that's why I was there. I wasn't there for second place. I wasn't there for third. I wasn't there for fourth, fifth, or sixth. I was there to try to win. And it was such pressure. You know, I'll give you a visual how intense the pressure is in Olympic Games. I grind my teeth at night. And so I have a half centimeter of hard plastic that I wear on my teeth at night. And they gave it to me one month before the Olympics. And I ground through it in one month.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: One month. (laughs) And they gave me another one after the Olympic Games. And I had it for 12 years. So that's the kind of pressure. And then I had children and I wore it down again.
0: (laughs) Different kind of stress. (laughs) Good stress.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But there's such pressure because it's once every four years. You know, and we're in the air for three seconds doing an aerial trick. And so one millisecond goes wrong and you can lose an Olympic medal. And so I got to semifinals and I got through semifinals. Uh, The first jump wasn't great. And I knew I had to do well on my second jump. And I had to make sure that I was taking the risk of doing this triple backflip. And I've only landed about 20% of them at this point. But if I landed it, I'd get to run later in finals when the scores tend to go up and would have a higher score. So I pushed myself to do that triple backflip and I qualified for my first finals in the Olympic games and I qualified in fourth. Wow. And so there were a few girls that were still ahead of me um, because my first jump wasn't great. And we got out to the Hill in the day of finals and the wind was gusting 50 miles an hour. And if you can imagine <laughs> being 50 feet in the air with wind gusts, it's the last thing you want to be thinking about. And so I really had to make sure that I thought back to my training. Um, There were a lot of women that backed down on their degree of difficulty at finals because the winds were so strong. And for me, I went into the games saying, I need to prepare for any eventuality that's going to happen. So at my first games, they, my coach told me, try to imagine it like, like it's every other day. And it's not like every other day. It's not at the point where you're having so much intensity um, that their camera is six inches from your face. But when I went to finals, I said to myself, you know what? You have trained in wind conditions before. Um, when a lot of the women said, oh, I'll wait till I get to the Olympics. I had trained when I didn't feel well. I had trained when it was snowing out, when it was cold out. And we had every element thrown at us. You know, the hill was a sheet of ice that day. My uh, because it was so cold the night before. And they had to take a chainsaw and chisel slots into the hill so we didn't slide down before we took our jumps. And my first jump, I landed it. I did a double backflip with three full twists. And I found myself in first place. And I knew I couldn't be thinking about the late night talk shows and parades. I had to be thinking about what I was doing on my second jump. And I went up top and got ready for my jump. And they had a hold on the hill. They put their arms up as a big cross because the wind gusts were so strong. And I had to wait three minutes until I took my jump. And three minutes may not seem long if you're getting a massage (laughs) or hitting the sneeze alarm. (laughs) But when you're waiting for your life to change, it can seem like an eternity. Wow. And so I kept going over my jumps in my head, the mechanics of what I needed to do. And I finally had my coach give me the clear sign, meaning it's okay. The jumps are clear. There's a lull in the wind. And I had to be ready to go on that second's notice. And I went into the jump faster than I'd ever gone before, launched myself higher in the air, flipped over three times with a full twist. And I came down with such force that my knees accordioned into my chest. And I my had goodness. to use all the strength of my legs and injured back to stand back up to ski down the hill. And it was that moment that I knew that I had done everything possible. And because I qualified fourth, there were still three girls to go. And one by one, I saw their name drop below mine on the scoreboard. And the woman who qualified in first was a girl named Nan Nanju from China. And she did a beautiful jump. And she was screaming and high-fiving her teammates. And, of course, I wanted to go congratulate her, but I was also peeking over her shoulder to keep my eye on the scoreboard. And it finally flashed next to her name, Nan Nanju, ranked second.
0: <laughs> suspense. And the
1: moment I knew that I won the Olympic games, and (sighs) standing on the podium was the experience of a lifetime. You know, I still can't listen to the American anthem play without bringing myself back to that moment of hearing that play for me as I represented my country on top of the Olympic podium.
0: Nikki, that is an amazing story, Uh, just amazing. We'll be back in a minute. WebCheck Security looks to Nexus IT to partner for IT operations. It used to be notebooks, posters and banners, proofreading, ads, and physical invites. Now it's virtual servers and desktops, internet content filtering, web hosting, cloud infrastructure, and more. Ready to jump your company forward a few decades? Let Nexus IT consultants show you how. To find out more, go to www.nexusitc.net. Or call them at 435-659-2533. Again, ready for this? 435-659-2533. And we're back with Nikki Stone, Olympic gold medalist, best-selling author, and award-winning motivational speaker. Uh, Nikki, one of the things that you said um, before the break was that uh, there's years of training for just four seconds. Of being in the air. Um, yeah. What did you learn during those years uh, of of persistence? Just for those four seconds, there there's got to be multiple lessons there.
1: Oh, most definitely. Uh, there there's times in our life that really stand out, and if you're not prepared and you don't put the work in ahead of time then it's not going to be available to you. You're not going to be able to shine in those four moments. Um, There's a saying that uh, the hay is in the barn, which means you've done all the preparation um, to be able to have that hay ready for you. And so I had to make sure that I had the preparations in place. I had to do everything possible. You know, it, it may come down to three seconds or four seconds, but we really have to do a lot to be able to prepare and it's, it's the whole journey. It's the journey that's most important because there's so many lessons that we learn along the way. And it allows us to be able to shine and be our best when it's most important to us.
0: Very sage advice. Be prepared and we'll be okay. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the lesson <laughs> exactly. there. Well, this is a perfect segue, Nikki, because this has been a crazy year. Uh, many of our listeners may or may not know that I sing with this little group called the Tabernacle Choir on Temple Square. And uh, they've, (laughs) I don't know if you knew that, they've been broadcasting for 90 years, the longest syndicated broadcast uh, in the world. And this year, they, we've been on what's called a fermata, which is a prolonged musical pause, <laughs> an intentional musical <laughs> pause. We're coming back, but that hasn't been announced yet um, due to COVID restrictions. As you know, in the state of Utah where we are, the, uh, those restrictions have been lifted. And so I anticipate any time that we'll be able to uh, get back at it. But it has been an interesting year. Uh, there are those that have lost loved ones. Um, there are businesses that have failed. There are businesses that have thrived. <laughs> Web check security is one of those. Cybersecurity, bad actors have, uh, if anything, taken advantage of this, uh, uh, this pandemic. And uh, corporations need uh, what we provide. We've been very blessed in, in that way. Uh, but uh, how have your failures and successes? helped you to get through this COVID pandemic and maybe share with our listeners, how have you been affected personally in your family and your business and what words of wisdom would you have for our listeners?
1: Yeah, we luckily I haven't lost anyone yet. um, But we've had a a number of issues. We've had um, medical issues with our family. Um, We've had results from COVID that are still long lasting And both my children and I had COVID um, in January, and it was a challenge. My son is a type 1 diabetic, so it was really scary. Uh, He almost ended up in the hospital, um, but luckily he pushed through and, and was able to stay at home to have care. But it wasn't without challenges. And um, financially, it was an enormous challenge. Um, Meetings weren't happening as I do motivational speaking. Um, There were a number of different things that I I looked to grow in a different way uh, because of COVID. And for me, uh, it all came back to uh, exercise that I learned when I got my master's in sports psychology. And when I was going through this class, my mom was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And I remember I was feeling devastated at the time. I didn't know if she was going to live. I didn't know how it would affect the family. My parents and I are very close. And so um, we really all kind of fell into a funk. And one day I was at class and our professor taught us about positivity and how impactful it can be. Mm -hmm. And he had us put our arms out to the side to grab a partner, put your arms out to the side and you close your eyes and the person's going to push your You're trying to resist your arms coming down Um, while someone pushes your arms down. You try to hold them out to the side. Right. And so we closed our eyes, put our arms out to the side. And he said, first, I want you to think about something negative and something that really brings you a lot of sorrow, something that brings you down, something that's negative, something that you feel like you may not be able to bounce back from. And I put my arms out to the side and my friend pushed my arms and I couldn't believe how quickly my arms fell down. And he said, okay, let's do it again. Arms out to the side, close your eyes. And I want you to think about something positive, something that makes you feel whole, something that makes you feel um, important, something that makes you feel like you can defeat the world. And the first time I was thinking about my mom going through cancer and how detrimental it was to our family. And the second time I went through and thought, you know what? My mom is an incredibly strong person. She is someone who has always bounced back from things. She's one of the people that gave me the strength that I have today. She's such a powerful woman. She's incredible in the business world. And she can bounce back from this. And in the process, it's going to make our family tighter and stronger. And we're going to be there for each other. And she has so many factors that are working for her and that my friend tried to push my arms down and she couldn't make the move an inch. And I thought of how powerful we are when we have those positive thoughts and not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, we are so much stronger when we're thinking positively. And so when my family's going through these medical issues, when the financial times are tough, all I have to do is think about that positivity. And in sports psychology, we call it thought stopping. And so when you're down that downward spiral, you think of three or four words that come to mind that give you that strength. It can be a simple word like um, power. It can be something like an image in your head of you standing on a podium. It can be a thought of a picture of your children. It's something that inspires you to be stronger than you are. And we use that to turn things around to start thinking in a positive action. And with something like the pandemic, we can choose to let it take us down that downward spiral, or we can choose to bounce back. Is that analogy with the Super Bowl? We can bounce back and we have to make sure that we're looking forward because looking backwards is not going to help us at all. There's nothing that we have to gain from looking back at the mistakes or the challenges that we have. We can only look forward and try to make tomorrow better.
0: I like that. Let's drill into that a minute, Nikki. There's so much negativity in the world right now. And there are those that are engaged in good causes and sometimes just causes. Uh, for example, we have Israel and Hamas fighting right now. I'm not even sure that one side's right and one side's wrong. It, it just, it's happening. We have um, some political divisions in our country, as you know, um, And some of those causes, there are good people on both sides. Uh, My brother-in-law is a staunch Democrat, and he's uh, got his Ph.D. He's a well-educated individual, but uh, we we would disagree on on many different philosophical things. Um, There are those who are fighting for um, uh, racial equality, gender equality. Uh, There's also been violence perpetrated by those topics, and people who feel passionately about the the cause or the battle, if you will, that they're engaged in. So how do we take the battles that we're engaged in? How do we inject positivity, Nikki, into those so that we get better results, uh, so that we connect more with our fellow human beings and so that we don't hurt people? Let's talk about that for a minute.
1: Yeah, and I I won't claim that I'm always the expert at this. Um, You know, I, I get caught up sometimes in the negativity or, you know, feeling resentment towards someone who believes something against what I believe and I really want to help change their thoughts. But a lot of these thoughts and beliefs are embedded in how you were brought up. And if you can try to look at things from someone else's point of view, if you can understand that there's always something that they're going through, you know, that when you think of your own challenges, you realize there's so much I have to deal with, but you don't think of the fact that there's someone else that may be going through something more challenging right now. And if you can try to look at them with positive intent and you can try to look at them from the perspective that. They do have passion for something and respect the passion they have rather than um, what their beliefs are and learn to accept people for their differences. Um, we're not always going to believe the same thing, realize this is how they were brought up and realize that there is a meaning and purpose behind what they feel as well. So you really can respect that they're driving towards something that they want rather than disrespect the fact that it's something different than you believe yourself.
0: Oh, I like that. Respect their passion, and that probably means understanding them more. I have an executive coach, believe it or not. He's a great guy. His name's Doug Stoddard, and uh, Doug has been trying to teach me to more intrinsically validate people. It's called intrinsic validation, and and I like what you said about appreciating their passion. I think there's a, there's a lot there, Nikki. Well. This has been a great podcast. We're 40 minutes in, and I think we could probably go for two hours, Nikki, (laughs) but you probably don't have that kind of time. Um, But if our listeners were to walk away today with one pearl of great price, uh, what would it be? What do you want them to know?
1: Okay, well, something that was taught to me when I was a very young girl, when I made that Olympic podium out of tables and chairs and told my parents I was going to win the Olympics someday. They didn't tell me it wasn't possible. They didn't laugh at me even when I fell off the back of the podium. (laughs) Uh, But they did tell me about a philosophy for success called the turtle effect. And they said, in order to be successful, you have to be like a turtle. You have to be soft on the inside. You have to have a hard shell and you have to be willing to stick your neck out. And throughout my career, I realized the soft inside was the passion or the love for what we do. The hard shell is that ability to overcome any adversity that's standing in our way. And to stick our neck out, we have to believe in ourselves and take risks. And then we always have teamwork and people around us to help us pursue that path to becoming a better and stronger turtle. And it's something that I use throughout my entire career. I speak on it today. And it's something that really has always helped push me forward because when I'm in the challenging times, when I don't know if I wanna take a risk, when I start to lose focus, I always think about that turtle and how I can be strong and make that turtle
0: soar. So no doubt, Nikki, that is the topic of your book, When Turtles Fly. Um, how can our listeners yes. get a copy of that? It sounds fantastic. In fact, if it's on Audible, I think I'll download it today. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So well, when turtles fly, secrets of successful people who stick their necks out. It's 40 different contributors from all different fields. People like Dr. Stephen Covey, Sean White, Lindsey Vaughn, uh, Steve Young, Lester Holt, uh, a plethora of people from all different fields. And they've all shared how they helped develop their strong turtle. And people can get it on my website um, if they want it personalized, or it's also available on Amazon.
0: Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm going to look for that, Nikki. Um, now final question here. So how can our listeners reach you? What are some of the things that they can reach out to you for? Um, let's talk about that for a minute.
1: Okay. Well, they can go to my website, as I mentioned with the book and it's just Nikki stone.com, which is N I K K I S T O N E.com. They can see my speaking information, which I speak to corporations, to organizations, to charities and schools. And they can see uh, some of my writing material, um, including uh, access to my book, and then also something I've developed called Motivational Minutes. And people can look at these Motivational Minutes. It's a minute of inspiration that corporations can find for their employees or organizations can use for their um, employees or clients. So that they get one minute of inspiration every day. And it's kind of like that quote that you get in the morning that puts you on that right path. And it has sustainability because it lasts for either three months or a year so that people can make sure that they have the inspiration moving forward and they can get up on the right side of the bed and they can make sure that they're keeping those new year's resolutions intact by not giving up on them in a few months. And I have several people that have um, different Olympians, from all different backgrounds that have helped be able to share motivational minutes as well. And so they'll gain not just my inspiration, but some others as well. And people can see that on there, or they can also see my speaking or motivational minutes on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash Nikki stone gold. And again, Nikki is N I T K I S T O N E, And then just add gold on the end of that G O L D for the YouTube channel.
0: I love it. Nikki stone gold. Well, Nikki, you're amazing. Thank you so much for your participation here. Again, it's been an honor to have you on the podcast today. And, uh, we just you, absolutely, uh, have enjoyed all of the wisdom. Um, and, uh, I'm sure there will be many that will be motivated by, uh, by your words today, by the example you set and, and by what you're still doing. So folks, that's a wrap thank for you, today. Guys. Nikki, thank you again so much for, for being here today. Vistas, wishes is to thank its sponsors Vivint smart home and Nexus ITC consultants for world-class security and home automation call Vivint today. Here's that number again, one 800 570 570 1-3-1-3. That's right, 1-800-570-1313. And don't forget, for white glove cybersecurity and IT assistance, contact Nexus IT at www.nexusitc.net or call them at 435-659-2533. Now, today's music has been provided by Suit Up Soldier and can be downloaded on Spotify, Apple Music, and other popular platforms. Their album just dropped on May 15th. It's an exciting time for this startup band. Their music is phenomenal. Check back soon for another episode of Vistas, published at least twice a month. Until next time, be positive and see only the good in others.
1: i